This is Unaided, the brand building podcast brought to you by Leakside, a team snap company. Get ready to learn about brand marketing strategy from the experts. Here's your host, Evan Brandoff. Hello and welcome to the Wingren podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brandoff. Today, we welcome Tim Rowe onto the show. Tim is the chief strategist and VP of RevOps at OneScreen.ai. He's also the host of the award-winning Out of Home Insider podcast. Let's get into it. Tim, aka the Out of Home Insider, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Evan. This is exciting. Thank you so much for coming on. You know, you were my key inspiration for starting our own podcast. Dangerous. Yeah, I'm I'm a little nervous having you on on the show. You're a legend in in my mind for a podcast in this space. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. You gave me an opportunity to to get the podcast going. You you were an early episode and I look back fondly on those days. I'm so appreciative of you giving me the shot to interview you. So I'm excited to be on the other side. And it's definitely easier, I think, to be on the other side, getting the questions (laughs) asked than asking them. So not envious of you today, but looking forward to the conversation. You just won an award for the podcast, right? Yeah, super exciting. I never knew that there were awards for podcasts, but actually Gene Hopkins, who you know, is a great friend and mentor and CRO at one screen. She said, Tim, we got to start submitting the podcast for awards. I was like, there's awards for podcasts. And sure enough, there are. And and yeah, we won an award recently and there's a few more out there. So hoping to bring some more hardware home. It's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. So you've built quite the following for your incredible podcast, but you don't talk about yourself a lot on the show. So I'm excited to help your fans learn a little bit more about Tim Rowe, the the guy behind the show. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So first starting off, tell me about where'd you grow up? So I grew up in uh, Northwest New Jersey. I kid that if you flip over the package of M&Ms, you'll see a town that says Hackettstown, New Jersey. M&Ms are made in Hackettstown. <laughs> it's also where I'm from. It's a little town about 20 miles from the Pennsylvania border. It's rural. There's trees. There's mountains. Uh, you know, It was a great place to grow up and moved back here after I got out of the Marine Corps in 2012. And this is home. Interesting. So did you go into the Marine Corps right after high school? I didn't. I kicked around for a few years. I went to county college. I was a parts delivery driver for a Ford dealership and didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And then I figured, you know what? I want to get out of here. I want to go see the world. What better way to do that than with the Marine Corps? How long were you in the Marines for? Four years, 2008 to 2012. Actually coming up on, this is crazy. I've been out of the Marine Corps 10 years in April. So coming up on it here pretty soon. Well, thank you so much for your service. No, thanks for your support, man. It was a yeah. great time. You got back to Jersey in 2012 after four years in the Marines. Then what was next? I didn't know what was next. I did know that I was at the time I was married, you know, had a newborn on the way. And I had, you know, four years of Marine Corps. I had a year and a half at county college. I'm like, what the heck could I do with that? So I actually went into logistics. I got a job working for a Fortune 500 logistics company and was a warehouse manager and kind of knew that I didn't always want to be a warehouse manager. So went back to school initially nights, but that turned into a full-time course load. And that's hard when you're married and have a newborn on the way. It's really hard to go to school full-time and you know make enough money to support your family. So I went back to a business that I knew from before my time in the Marine Corps, which was the car business. I went back to selling cars. 
sold cars, went to school on my one day off during the week and you know my nights and got a degree in finance that I had absolutely no business getting because like finance is not my forte. <laughs> Marketing is my forte. But I figured if I got a degree in finance, then I could go work on Wall Street and get a really fancy car mm. uh, pretty quickly. But that didn't work out the way that I thought. So a bit of meandering through the woods, ended up finding a job on Craigslist of all places, working for an ad agency. And that's how I got into, uh, that's how I got into advertising is from Craigslist. Interesting. So, so you graduated school with, with a finance degree. Did, did you end up going to, to Wall Street? Did, did you work there at all? For a really short period of time, actually, I did. I worked for one of the best options traders in the world for a hedge fund consulting firm and uh, got to go into the city a bunch and meet all these big, smart hedge fund guys. And that, that was kind of when I realized like sitting behind a computer crunching numbers is not going to be for T-Row. <laughs> so T-Row went on Craigslist found a job at an ad agency. What was that ad agency all about? What was the focus? Yeah. So that's a right, great transition. So we went to Craigslist to find a job. <laughs> so I actually thought it was a scam initially. It was something about like automotive marketing. And I was like, this has got to be a scam or maybe it's like selling newspaper ads. So I didn't even send my resume. I sent an email that was like two paragraphs of here's why I'm shit hot and you should hire me. And a few days later, I got a call from the president of the company and he's like, your resume sucks. I was like, who is this? Turned out <laughs> to be totally legit. Went to work there for two years and managed about a $7 million book of business, working exclusively with car dealerships, buying a lot of traditional media, TV, radio, doing a lot of direct mail, a lot of pay-per-click, a lot of Facebook. That was kind of the Craigslist transition into, into marketing. <laughs> That's awesome. How does it work with, with car dealer? Were you working directly with individual car dealerships or were you yeah. working with like the tier two co-ops? So I was working exclusively with the tier three with the local franchise dealer. Got it. And is that where you were exposed to out of home to billboards for the first time? It is. It wasn't from the buy side as the, as the agency. It was actually a client of mine got a job in North Carolina and I was getting real burnt out from the road. I was doing 35, 40,000 miles a year. Wow. And here's the tie in the league side. I missed one of my son's T-ball games. Mm. I missed a T-ball game and I made a decision on that day. There was zero amount of money that was worth missing my kid's stuff. So a client of mine who was really close by to where I live, he took a job in North Carolina and he said, hey, do you want my job as marketing director for this dealer group? Problem solved. I went from missing T-ball games to coaching his T-ball team, you know, in less than six months, which was pretty amazing. But it was there. It was at that dealership. It was at that dealer group that I was first exposed to billboards because my first act of Congress being the new marketing director was I need to see the entire ad statement. Who's everybody that we're giving money to on a monthly basis? And I saw Adam's Outdoor and I thought, what the heck is this? And I went to the Googles and I said, this is a billboard. We're giving money to a billboard company. Get these guys in here. They're fired. The first thing I did was try to fire Adams. It was on that day that I learned outdoor companies have really good contracts that aren't cancelable. So I was kind of forced into working with Adams, maybe a bit more than, than I thought I was going to have to. And along the way, fell in love with it. I fell in love with the process. I had an incredible account executive. His name's Peter Geffert. 
And he just infused this enthusiasm about the medium. I still couldn't see it as a digital marketer. I still couldn't see it in a way that was measurable to me, but I was getting co-op from the manufacturers. So they were picking up 50% of the bill. And I was able to use it as, as a pretty creative medium because the outdoor company took a lot of time to educate me on how to do that. But yeah, that was how I got exposed to at home. Interesting. So at first you wanted to fire Adams out of home for, for lack of a better expression, just because you, oh, yeah. in the beginning, you just, you couldn't see how billboards would be impactful to a car dealership. Not at all. They came in talking about impressions and traffic counts. And I said, that's all well and fine, but I measure this in car deals. I measure right. this in how many brake lights go out across the end of the street right there with my name on the back of that car. That's how I measured performance. And that's how most dealers measure performance is dollar in, $3 out. You know, How did you perform in my overall bottom line? So was there a specific point in time, specific campaign that, that changed your mind about billboards? Yeah. So after trying to fire Adams, ended up going to work for Adams about a year and a half later <laughs> as the guy who was responsible for selling display ads and pre-roll to people who were already buying billboards. Adams was trying to expand the portfolio of the products that they sold and get into a little bit more of that digital online marketing. So they brought me in to help sell that product it was, as you can imagine, very easy. It's very easy to sell targeted display ads to people who buy billboards because it's like just a little billboard and way more expensive. Folks loved it. They loved the combination of the billboards with the display ads. We were doing some, some kind of interesting things, very, very light measurement, anecdotal, directional kind of stuff. And it was a campaign for a nonprofit called Allentown Rescue Mission. They're about two blocks from the county prison in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and faith-based organization that helps homeless men get back on their feet. Wow. Went in there, had a great meeting with them, with the account executive, Andrew Histan, who's still at Adams and just like world-class account executive. So went in there, had a great conversation with Allentown Rescue Mission. This was summer of 2019, I think. Yeah, I started the pod in 2019, October. So summer of 2019 and... They wanted to do some digital billboards, really, really like just strong, creative, powerful images of these men who've clearly gone through like a lot in their lives. Logo, picture of, of the gentleman who'd graduated from the program. That was it. They hmm. did this across a network of digital billboards. And I asked for Google Analytics access because a member of their board had a little digital agency in town. They had set up their Google Analytics, like it was it was all buttoned up and, and, and looking pretty. So- Asked for access. And two weeks into the campaign, I just logged on one day and said, let's just see if there's anything in here. And Evan, it was straight up and to the right. Organic traffic was up. Direct traffic was up. And not up like a little bit, up big, 10, 20, 30%. Conversions were up 90%. Average website donations went up 39%. All of these things. And I was like, holy smokes, this is crazy. They must be doing other things too. And at no point had it occurred to me that this was happening in isolation. And only the only thing different was, was the billboard. So I immediately called the marketing director and she confirmed. She said, no, the only thing that we're doing right now are the billboards. This is our, get ready for this. This is our slow season. Wow. I said, Rosaria, if this is your slow season, like in the last two weeks since the billboards have been up, here's this, 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 and this. And that was it, Evan. Like the hook was set. I said, there's got to be more stories like this. Started asking more clients for Google Analytics access. 
was finding stories really consistently. And then I asked my counterpart, Allie Rupi, who's at one screen now, and she's leading up our client growth team and doing an amazing job. I said, Allie, who, who's got the podcast on this? Because this stuff's crazy. This is insane. I can't like as a digital marketer, you shouldn't be able to change one thing in your marketing mix and increase conversions by 94%. That doesn't make sense. That's unfathomable. So Allie said, there, there really isn't, there's not a podcast. So coming full circle, that's how the hook was set. And that's how it turned in, into starting the pod. Interesting. And I'm excited to get into the pod because it's, it's really amazing what you've built. But I want to dig into this realization a little bit further. So at this point, was out of home the only new thing they were doing or it was the only marketing they were doing, period? Both. It was the only new thing that they had done out of home before. They'd done outdoor before. It was new creative that they'd never run before. They hadn't been up in the market for a while, long enough that anything they were doing previously with the creative change, I, I would go so far as to say they weren't, they were not doing outdoor actively. And this at the time was the only thing that they were doing. So wow. So pretty incredible. It is incredible. What do you think is the right way to complement out of home with display ads, with with digital ads? Like, is out of home strong in isolation, or will it make your digital advertising more effective by investing in, in billboards as well? Consistently seeing that the one plus one equals three. It's unlocking synergies across paid search, paid social, email, SMS. Consistently seeing this in advertisers' own Google Analytics. It's great when you can kind of show the story back to them from their own data, but consistently seeing it when you add outdoor to your mix, when you add out of home to your mix, it unlocks synergies across everything else. Think about a billboard, right? What's the behavior if I see the billboard? I'm going to probably look it up on my phone. I'm going to Google it later. Right. Now I'm driving search for specific keywords, for branded keywords, right? My quality score is improving. My cost per clicks going down. All of these things are happening because of the investment in out of home. So yeah, seeing really consistently that it can work in, in isolation by itself as a really effective tactic. But if you have a full marketing funnel that's already in play, adding out of home can unlock synergies across the, the entire mix. That's really interesting. Through, through your research, is there any data to suggest what percentage of your media marketing mix should be spent on, on out of home? It's a really good question. And I think that it's something that should be open for a healthy debate. We're doing some first of its kind of academic research at one screen with the Northeastern University's data science team to help determine some of that. We've got some really exciting stuff that's about to get published later in the first half of this year. In terms of like what's the right percentage, the question that I think to frame it through is... What's the value of putting new users on your site and how good's your online retargeting game? It's really hard to build a brand, to build top of funnel using just digital online tactics. So if you could more efficiently, more effectively build brand drive top of funnel using offline, because the targeting is just as good, if not arguably better than now the internet, CPMs are the same or less than. And the measurement, it's at least close enough now that we can say, hey, I can see some of the impact coming from out of home. So if those factors are all to be true. Well, then how much of an investment can you make putting new users on your site 
so that you can use middle of funnel, bottom funnel tactics that are already working to convert them. So use offline to build brand, drive the top of the funnel, and then use your existing marketing mix to convert those folks. So I think it's a great way to get people on the website and and build brand. For sure. And on top of all of that, if, if that's not enough, it should be validation. This this stat is a little bit outdated, but some of the biggest spenders in out of home are Google, Facebook, Apple, companies that know the performance of digital campaigns more than they are the companies that we're, we're advertising through digitally. And the fact that they're investing so much in out of home is is just validation that the experts, the people that know all understand how important out-of-home is in in the media marketing mix. Totally. They're arbitraging it, right? Like they're taking the offline attention, turning it into users on their platform, and then selling an ad product to advertisers who want to reach those people. You can reach those, you can do what Amazon and Google and Facebook are doing by just including out-of-home in your mix. They're selling, they're just selling offline attention back to you. So yeah, when, when folks are like, oh no, I only do Google or I only do Facebook ads. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because I think that sometimes folks don't quite close the loop on just how ironic that is. I don't even know if Facebook does Facebook ads. I could be wrong. They might. Oh, that's uh, a great yeah. point. They do do TV. <laughs> I see, yeah, I've seen them on TV before and they do a lot out of home, right? Because they know, right? It's, it's new reach. And, and I've run into this full disclosure. I stopped using YouTube because it became an echo chamber. I wasn't discovering new content. It was just serving me more of the stuff I'd already consumed a lot of. So as a user, I was like, I want to find new stuff. Like I want new stuff like the stuff I like, not just more stuff of the stuff I like. So thinking about that and like the kind of modern user experience, how fractured so much of our consumption is of media, of you know entertainment, there's so many apps, streaming platforms, et cetera. But what's the one thing that we all experience, right? It's out of home. It's really, it's the only thing that we all experience. We watch different TV stations, different shows, different platforms. We listen to different radio. I listen to radio. You listen to iTunes, right? Like it's so fractured, but what's the one common point? We all leave our homes eventually to go to the grocery store, (laughs) to kids off at school, to go to the gym, to do all those things. So out of home, I think is just really moving into the driver's seat of the next 20 years of marketing. What year did you start the Out of Home Insider podcast? 2019, October. Wow. October of 19, yeah. Two and a half years now. What was the initial goal when starting the podcast? (laughs) It's funny because I kind of forgot what the initial goal was until I was talking with someone about the other day. The initial goal, Evan, was I thought my audience was 12. I thought it was the other sales reps at Adams Outdoor in Eastern Pennsylvania. I figured I'll record these interviews. I'll share them internally. I know some other sales reps might listen to this. Maybe two or three of them will, and one or two of them will get a nugget out of it that helps them close a deal. That was it. That was the entire goal of the podcast was to create an internal learning resource for the team at Adams. So I had no idea that it could evolve into so much more. What has it evolved into? just a whole nother animal into itself. It's changed my life. It's how I met the co-founders of OneScreen, Greg and Sam through the podcast. And and that obviously turned in the opportunity to join the team. And you know that's a rocket ship and we're growing really fast. So it's changed the total trajectory of my life career path. I was just the guy selling billboards. I told you, I found my job in marketing on Craigslist. It's not like I went to 
you know, some top 10 Ivy league school and, you know, came up through the startup ranks and, you know, I've worked at all these companies and had successful exits and done all these things that might expect on paper. Right. I, I was a Marine that bat, sold cars and worked for a hedge fund guy and right. And did all these things. So the podcast has changed my life in that way. And that I'm now able to, to help shape a company that's shaping an industry. The pod has become so much more that the reach is international. I get DMs all the time from people all around the world that are just as passionate about the things that we're passionate about. And it's awesome. Like it's really cool to start to create the connective tissue of like an international community that's really, really excited about the thing they do. What do you think is the biggest factor in in building a successful podcast? Ignore everybody who you think you should like care about their opinion. Mm-hmm. There's so many people with an opinion. It's easier said than done, but it's scary. I think that it, it's scary, right? And, and you've crossed the chasm and you've started your own pod. And you know, there, it's that getting started. At first, you think that there's going to be all these people listening and casting judgment and you know, giving you like at first, no one's going to pay attention. That's kind of like just out of the box. I didn't know how to check the analytics on YouTube or the podcast thing for like four months. And thank God I didn't because (laughs) no one listened, zero people, zero people listened. But yeah, then people start to listen and then you start to hear chirping, 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 right? I was still, I'm still the new guy. I'm still new to out of home, you know, but unfortunately there's, you know, sometimes some folks who are not going to think that you deserve to be here or, you know, you know, who are you to get to speak on some of those things? So that's like the getting started part, I think is, is kind of the hardest, but that's what it taught me is um, when you're starting out, there won't be anybody paying attention. When people start to pay attention, don't pay attention to the people that are like trying to rain on your parade. Don't try to make them happy. Don't worry too much about appeasing them. Find the people that are really excited about the thing you're doing and like go hang out with them instead. It can be really hard. What's interesting about podcasts, there's so many now that... I think it's something like 99% don't make it past one year. In order to have a top 25% podcast, you only need like 50 streams per week, something like that. Really? Yeah. Or maybe it's 100. I forget the exact number, but it just gives you a sense of how many unlistened to podcasts there are out there. (laughs) So many unlistened to. And then when you start to get traction, understanding how to quantify your audience, I think is really, really important. Folks ask me all the time, how many downloads do you have? How many subscribers do you have? And I'm like, hang on, that's not at all how I quantify the value of the audience, right? Like I'm able to see some different stuff, you know, from LinkedIn, LinkedIn has some really great analytics. So you can see, you know, the types of job roles that people are in that are engaging with the content who follow this, this show and YouTube will give you some different stuff. And some of the podcast platforms will give you some different insight, but ultimately what it distills down to is the average, for me, the average listener is going to hang out for 12 to 15 minutes of any given episode. Depending on the platform, there could be between 100 and 200 unique viewers or listeners to that piece of content. All of the episodes are chopped up into little bite-sizable content that's distributed across all the platforms. What it comes down to is I say, Think about it this way. If you had a room of a hundred of the perfect people and they would listen to you talk for 12 to 15 minutes, how much would it be worth to you, right? If you could keynote at the next conference and it had a hundred of your perfect audience sitting there, 
that could cost you 50 to a hundred thousand dollars. Right. That's right. how I start to quantify the value of the audience. Yeah. And, and I think something that you are really good at the first step is determining who those hundred people are that are yeah. your dream hundred, because that's arguably the hardest and most important part. And you've built something that is niche, but not that niche is a large audience that's interested yeah. in out of home. And, and you focus on, on that audience specifically, which, is, which has been really great. Yeah. Well, no, let's it's been a lot of fun. Good. Let's transition to one screen. Let's do it. Tell us about one screen. So gosh, what is it? It's 2022. So summer of 2020, I get a LinkedIn message from this guy named Greg Wise. And he says, Hey, you know, would like to get your feedback on this thing we're building. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, he's not from out of home. He's got this real estate background. He worked at HubSpot. Like, <laughs> what is he talking about? I was very confused. We got on a call with him and Sam in the summer of 2020, and, and they kind of pitched this idea of we've got this hardware device that plugs into the back of TV screens, and we're setting up these networks. And what if, as a marketer, you could say, hey, I want to run an ad in a network of bars in Boston, and I want to generate phone calls to my business for $50 per phone call, right? Like They were talking about creating a Facebook audience network for the real world, right? Where you could deterministically and predictably say, I want to generate phone calls as my objective and therefore serve my ads to this audience at this time, at this CPM to generate a phone call. So it was very like, as a performance marketer, I, I thought you're going to break the world. That's incredible. If you could do that, every digital marketer would do this today, right? Like everyone. So I asked Sam to mentor me and he did. And it was a few weeks later that kind of asked me to come aboard, but we continued building that piece of the business, the hardware business, the screen network until about February of 2021, when we started to realize we're building rocket ships for an industry that doesn't yet have roads and basic infrastructure. We could do that. It would be very noble and very cool. And like people would love it. But maybe we need to take a step back and just build some basic infrastructure for the industry, like a free public access directory for all the things that you can do in out of home, mm -hmm. right? There's not one central repository for everything, whether you're a media owner and you need to find new lights for a billboard structure, or you're an advertiser that wants to sponsor a little league team, right? There's not a central hub where all of these things exist. So we pivoted out of hardware. We started building out the directory and now that's you know about ready to come online. The way that we support that directory and, and create functionality and value for everybody involved is on the media owner side, we give media owners a suite of free back office tools that help them streamline their business. But the really exciting thing about that is we think of it more like a revenue acceleration platform. It's full of sales enablement tools that make selling easier because what we heard from media owners was some of the frustrations with maybe some of the programmatic options and, and this idea of like, if I just plug into these things, I'm all of a sudden going to have a Brinks truck showing up in my house every 30 days. <laughs> like we're not quite there yet. So we think that if we equip media owners with some basic tools that help their empower their sales team to go have data audience led conversations about why people should be buying their inventory, we think that those are good things. Um, the back office tools, we think 
you know, folks are, are enjoying. And then oftentimes a pretty significant upgrade to a Google sheet or some post-it <laughs> notes and email. So that's what we're up to is building all of that out. And then also working with really cool brands on the demand side of the business who want to do out of home and, and, and they're trying out a home for the first time. So it's a win, win, win. It's positive sum for everyone. Everybody goes home a winner. I love it. There are platforms like Vistar and, and a couple of others that do have a lot of the out of home inventory on their platform. How is one screen differentiating itself from those platforms? Yeah. So think of us as like the platform for the platforms. We are like the digital yellow pages for all things out of home. So if uh, if you want to find, you know, if you wanted to find programmatic DSPs, SSPs, you could come to the directory and type those things in and find them. Or, you know, products and services that you need as a media owner, printing services, just the same as any other directory. And we're not shutting anybody out. If you've got a business and out of home, we want to list you on there. But the key difference is that Vistar focused on digital inventory, making it available programmatically to buyers. We are focused on building a directory for all things out of home. Interesting. Will brands be able to buy through one screen or like Yellow Pages, you're just given the information to get in touch with, with the appropriate vendor or channel? Yeah, no, it will come in stages. Initially, it's just the, hey, here's how to get in touch with the people that you might want to buy stuff from. But building on top of that, the forward-thinking media owners that we're working with, they see the the value in listing their inventory with live pricing and availability, right? Because if you're the first one to list with live pricing availability, you set the market. Anyone that comes behind you is going to have to price in line with what you've already published. And very similar to automotive, if we think back 20 years ago, there was no auto trader, there was no cars that you didn't know what the car cost, right? Like none of that existed. You had to go to seven dealerships and negotiate until you felt like you got the best deal. Now, every dealer in the country has to put the price online, right? Those first few dealers who were putting the price online, guess what? They won a lot of business early on. They captured a lot of market share early on. So we think that the same is going to be true for media owners, that, that making pricing and availability, you set the market now. And I think what makes our platform so special is we are not taking your rate and marking it up. Your rate is your rate, like just listed at rate card. Our business model is built on a free cash flow per share. Our business, the whole health of our business is built off of the float. It's the speed, volume, and velocity of deal flow. You remember the movie Office Space? <laughs> yeah. You know, what if we took a few pennies off of every few million dollars? That's all we're doing. We're taking pennies and we've got a whole lot of money sitting in between all that. So um, that's good. That's that's good for the media owner. They can they have rate integrity. It's the same price. They're going to be able to sell it for, list it for the same price as, as the, the rep is walking in offering it at. How have you been able to leverage the Out of Home Insider podcast for you know the benefit of, of one screen? So in 2021, we went back and did the math. In some way, the podcast touched, it was in like the 65 to 75 cents out of every dollar that came through one screen, whether that was through wow. a part partner that, you know, we, we'd met through the podcast or uh, a great story actually crossing that the, the billboard behind me. So Chris Mead, their CMO, right? He was on the podcast a few months later. Ultimately, we got to help them with their first billboard campaign, which was <laughs> really, really successful. And then that turned into a referral to another brand called Posh Peanut. Uh, born online, D2C, getting into retail, great children's clothing brand. So that's just one example of guests of the podcast, became an advertiser, 
turned into a referral. We've got two great case studies, two great relationships that we continue to foster and invest in. So the podcast has been a business development beast. <laughs> I love it. It's amazing how, how everything and, and the team that you're building at one screen is, is just, it's grown a lot this past year, right? Yeah, it's grown a lot. Gosh, there's we're a team of eight a year ago. We're a team of like 40 today. And uh, we're going to pass that 40 mark probably next week. And we're set, set to end the year uh, close to 80 headcount, which has just been incredible. When I came on your show, I could be misremembering, but I think the show was your only focus at that point, And you were trying to figure out what else you wanted to do next. Pretty sure I was unemployed looking for a job at that point. Yeah. And now fast forward less than 18 months and you're on the executive team, uh, just raise a bunch of capital on a, it's early stages of a rocket ship. So I yeah. couldn't be happier for you and, and so life. excited for, for what y'all are building. Thank you. Yeah. So Tim, last part of the interview is the lightning round. Oh, let's do it. All right. All right. I'm ready. I swear I'm ready. Right. <laughs> so it's four questions. Got about two minutes to answer all four. So first thing right. that comes to mind. Okay. First question. What is your favorite youth sports memory? Oh man. My favorite youth sports memory. Gosh, probably something coaching with my son. I know what it was this year. So we were playing a team and my son's, he, he wants to be the catcher and it was a tie game. And this kid took off a ball, went past him, ball went to the backstop. He jumps up. It was his first year playing catcher, found the ball, guns it down to third base, caught the kid stealing, held the tie, drove extra innings. It was just incredible. Like as a parent, <laughs> as a coach, the, so that's probably my favorite youth sports memory. It's amazing. Throwing him out at third. <laughs> when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? An astronaut. Oh, an astronaut. My birthday is January 28th, which is a, it's a bit of a, a tragedy in NASA history. It was the day that the Challenger space shuttle exploded. I was That's mm. the day I was born. So I always felt really drawn to that. Maybe it was just because that was always what was associated with my birthday, but I always thought it'd be cool to be an astronaut. I love it. That's what I wanted to be too. We could have been astronauts together. But and instead- now on a rocket ship called Data Home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what is a brand... Who's marketing you admire most? Oh man, that's a really good question. It's probably a bit of a cop out, but it's for a slightly different reason. Apple. And you know, I know that that seems easy. Apple does such a good job of making things simple. Simple's really, really hard. Simple's really, 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 really hard. So I love everything that Apple does. I'm a light user, I've got a PC. You know, I do have an iPhone. Like, I'm not like an Apple junkie, but I think that they do a remarkable job of of making uh, making things simple. And then finally, what is a go to cause that you like to support? Oh man, a go to cause anything animal related. I'm a big softy. We're a big animal household here, so anything animal related. St. Hubert's uh, specifically here in in my area is an organization that I've volunteered for over the years. It's it's hardly volunteering to get to go and just hang out and like pet dogs for an hour. But yeah, I think that they do really amazing work. So I love, love St. Hubert's. Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Evan. This has been a lot of fun, man. I wish you much success. It's awesome to see more content, more shows coming out. And I think that you're doing an amazing job. You've had an incredible lineup and I'm honored to be counted amongst them now. 
Thank you. You were my inspiration. So thank you. And let's have you on again, hopefully sometime soon. So Yeah, let's do it. I'm down. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wingren Podcast with Tim Rowe. As a recap, we discussed Tim's incredible journey from the Marines to out-of-home expert, the importance of out-of-home in a media marketing mix, and how one screen that AI is evolving the out-of-home game. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Evan Brandoff. See you next time, everyone. Play on. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating at leagueside.com slash podcast. For more educational and inspiring content, you can follow Leagueside on LinkedIn and Instagram at leagueside underscore. See you next time.